Welcome to the Birmingham Vineyard Podcast. We hope you find it insightful and encouraging. If you want to find out more about us, head to our website, birminghamvineyard.com. Good morning. Um, what a pleasure to be up here um, talking to you today, continuing our series on Luke said, uh, sorry, Jesus said in Luke. <laughs> I've started. Um, so I don't have my partner in crime up here on my left, so apologies if I don't manage to keep to time, uh, but please feel free to heckle me from the ground, okay? <laughs> You've been given permission. So today we're going to explore the cost of discipleship. Now, normally when I speak at church, I'm talking about money. Now, it's a different kind of cost, but there's only one number involved in this, okay? And I'll give you the number at the end, but you can guess, I suspect, what the number is. So we're going to come, uh, we're going to start in Luke uh, 14, and it's verses 25 to 32. And we're going to split this passage into three and look at three main costs. The cost of relationships, the cost of our plans, and the cost of how we fight our battles. So let's have a look at the first few verses. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cost and follow me cannot be my disciple. (coughs) Wow. I don't think I'd ever read um, that before I became a Christian. It's just a really weird way to speak to people, isn't it? Don't you think? Yeah. And this large crowd, I don't know, were following Jesus. And I don't know what they were, why they were there. You know, loads of different reasons. That, you know, some might have believed he was the Messiah. Some might have heard about the miracles he was doing uh, and performing. Some might have needed healing or healing for their friends. What were they desiring to see? Just a glimpse to touch him, to listen to some inspirational uh, speaking or, or, or talking? I suppose when you've got a large crowd, there's an opportunity to focus them. And I I suspect here, there is a sense of him being jostled and there are loads of people and he decides, right, I can probably shake things up a little bit here. And so he turns to this large crowd and he says something that they would have understood in the Torah because he, in the Torah it says, honor your mother and father. And to say, hate your mother and father and brother and sister and all the other stuff he says in this passage It shakes people to the core. Imagine this large crowd of people talking, what did he just say? Did he he really just say that? And if you were on the fringes of this, you were probably thinking, what is he on about? But Jesus here is desiring them, okay, to, to follow him wholeheartedly. Not to people that are just, not to be people that just are on the edges or the fringes that are kind of tagging along. You know, they might have come along because a friend said, oh, there's this great guy. And they weren't quite sure why they were there. He's trying to give them a sense of focus. He wants them to be his disciples, people who genuinely genuinely understand who he is and what he's about. He wants them to come and follow him and make him Lord of their lives. It's a personal invitation like he did with the early disciples when he said, come, follow me. So Jesus is not just about, so following Jesus is not just about hanging around and waiting for the next miracle. It's in his words. It's to follow him to the cross. 
I suppose when I first became a Christian, I didn't really understand uh, what, it, what it meant. And I hadn't really read this Bible verse at all. So there wasn't a real sense of counting the cost for me. But I knew that I loved Jesus and I wanted to be like him and I wanted him in my life. But there was a real cost and an impact for me that relates to this. When I, was a, when I gave my life to Christ, I was about 14. I didn't initially tell my parents because I was away at school. So um, my change of belief, my conversion, didn't really impact their lives. And you see, my, my parents are Hindus, and uh, I was born and raised uh, as, as a Hindu. And my newfound faith only re really hit home in terms of relationship with them a couple of years into my new life with Christ. It was when my gra grandmother had died, and at her funeral, just before I was 16, there was a religious ceremony that, as a grandson, I was meant to be part of. And my mother expected me to engage with it, but of course, I really couldn't. Because I was a Christian. And so I told her on the morning that I was a Christian and that I couldn't do this. And that didn't go down particularly well. Obviously, she was emotional that her mum had died, but now her son was telling her that he couldn't be part of a religious ceremony with the whole family and the whole community there. And it was a really, really tough time for me. And I can remember sitting close by, but not with everybody, and the whole time just praying to Jesus and just saying, I'm sorry that I'm doing this, or just sorry that I'm here, even outwardly representing something that I don't believe in. And it made the relationship with my parents very difficult to me. And for a long time, actually, it felt like there was a sense of hating mother and father in that. And that was to give up my good relationship and my good standing as a sacrifice for this. So I suppose for me, in a sense, I can actually understand these verses. Um, there is actually a cost to following Christ. You do have to die to yourself. That's what happened. And in a real sense, having to give up my cultural heritage as well, and a lot of my family life, because that was all linked to religion and festivals, just to follow Jesus. And there were implications for that in terms of how my parents treated me and how I was seen. And it was a really difficult time. But the principle of the cross and following Jesus is that with death comes resurrection. And interestingly, over the years that followed, my parents uh, came to accept my change in faith. And when we were leading a church in Leeds, my parents actually came along to a number of church weekends away. Um, and, uh, and they really enjoyed um, the, the, the Christian community that we had there. And in terms of resurrection, in the end, my relationship with my parents was rebuilt so much that it was a real blessing when my mum was very sick with cancer. Um, of all of the siblings, I was the one who lived with them and when Joe and I moved down uh, from Leeds uh, with our family. And right at the end, I can remember on a regular basis um, being able to go in and see her in the mornings when she was very frail and ill and lift her out of bed and make sure that she was able to get dressed. And it was such a blessing um, and a real turnaround for, for, for that relationship to see it restored. Something that was so broken can be restored. And I know um, the real joy, um, and, and to today it still overwhelms me sometimes during worship. Um, my mum gave her life to Christ and knowing that during our worship times, I'm worshipping with those in the heavenly host as well. And sometimes I become overwhelmed knowing that I'm worshipping with my mum, which is just amazing. 
So this is real. But you know, the cost for us is real, but the cost for Jesus was real too. And we see in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he asks the Father if it is possible to take the cup of suffering away from him. But of course, he surrenders his life by saying, not my will, but your will be done and surrenders to death on the cross. But the wonderful thing is, the thing of beauty and hope is that the resurrection is also real. He rose to life again three days later on on Sunday. A new eternal life in glory. Are we prepared to go to the cross in order to receive a new life in Christ through the resurrection of Christ? Now, I know many of you in this room have been called to this place, to the UK, to Birmingham for purpose. And that's because Jesus has called you here specifically. You've had to sacrifice relationships and family in order to make this journey and to be in this place for this time. The cost is real. It truly is real. Jesus challenged the crowd with the cost of relationships. He then goes on to tell us also to be wise as we count the cost. And I mean, I know, like I said at the beginning, when I became a Christian, I hadn't really read these verses. I just fell in love with Christ and fell in love with Jesus and went for that. But here he's challenging us to look at our lives and weigh the big decisions that we make. So in the second part of this this scripture that we're going to read, this talks about this. We should count the cost of following Jesus just as we uh, should count the cost of any sort of project or life-changing decision we enter into. We would be wise to be looking at what that that cost is. So let's read. Sorry. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Okay, so with this section, some commentators highlight the fact that in the context of the day that Jesus uh, could be talking and relating this story um, about building and laying foundations uh, for a tower to the actual temple in Jerusalem that was being rebuilt. Uh, And earlier in Jesus's ministry, he said that the temple would be destroyed. And indeed, it was destroyed in 70 AD. So the builders who were laying out their plans and people that were set out to rebuild the temple were full of good intentions, right? And all the rest of it. But little did they know that God had a different plan, a different purpose for what was going to happen for the temple. I mean, God's plan, his actual plan was that we would become his temple. And so It's kind of interesting that you can set out with a thought process that is well-intended, but actually God's plan may be intentionally slightly different, and and, and we just need to be able to balance that and weigh that. So how does that relate to us today? Okay, so for me personally, what a nightmare these verses are, okay? I mean, I know when we were doing the preaching rotor, I had a choice of which verses to pick, Um, but I hadn't quite read the second part of this verse. And anybody who knows Joe and us, okay, know that currently, currently we actually do have a half-completed extension, um, a half-completed tower of sorts. 
um, sitting at the back of our house. So to be fair, it's watertight and usable, but it isn't complete. Um, and so what happened? I mean, were we unwise? Were we not thoughtful about it before we started on the project? Maybe a little, but certainly not completely. I mean, we did think about what the costs were. We did plan um, and we had good intentions. And we do try to live our lives in a way where we submit our plans to the Lord. Unfortunately, circumstances have changed in terms of costs going up and all sorts of things have impacted our, our income. We planned the best we could do, but even with the planning, the project at times over the last two years has seemed quite foolish. So how do we square that? Well, with Easter fast approaching, it feels a little bit like Joe and I are on Easter Saturday with regard to this building project and indeed our business plans. Now, what do you mean by that then? Well, when Gethsemane happened, Jesus submitted his life to God then Good Friday happened, and he gave up his life, paid the price, and then there was a long, hard Saturday. A Saturday of disillusionment and disappointment, of confusion, and maybe a lack of understanding of what, what um, that's, what, what, uh, maybe a lack of understanding. And that's kind of where Joe and I are. We're in it. We're in the waiting period before the excitement of Resurrection Sunday. It's our project and our plans that we have for our business. We're just in the waiting process, pushing hard, waiting, praying, and waiting. And we are just starting to see a crack of dawn in this. I mean, why, why has this happened? What was God's intention for us in our lives? Was it about shaping character? With God's grace, we are beginning to anticipate a hope for the future. We know that Saturday is coming. Sorry, Sunday is coming. Saturdays here. Um, and a life can be like that with following Jesus, where we count the cost, and we enter in. And then circumstances change around us, and that causes us to kind of question what's happening in this space. What happened to my new life in Jesus? What are the intentions here? But you know, the Lord uses these circumstances to build our faith, to pour out his grace into our lives. His intention is that we become more Christ-like and to help bring his kingdom in. We know that when we give our lives to the Lord, there is a cost and difficulty and pain. But we are people of the resurrection. And that is both our hope and our witness. So on following Jesus, there is a cost in our relationships and there is a cost to the way we plan our lives. And finally, in this passage, Jesus speaks about the cost of how we do our battle, how we fight our battles. So let's read this um, in verse 31. Suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose one coming against him with 20? If he's not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and ask for terms for peace. Now, in Jesus' time, the Jews were living under Roman occupation um, and there was oppression and slavery. So obviously there were sections of Jewish society who wanted to forcibly overthrow that and they were the zealots. They were looking for a Messiah. They, that wanted, to, they wanted a, a warrior king to release them from Roman rule. 
And so this idea of waging war and counting the cost of an on oncoming army, they would have understood that because it's quite applicable to them in their time because they were thinking about rising up against the whole and the mighty Roman Empire. But I think here Jesus is challenging the way that we might do battle. He didn't come as a general of earthly armies, but a king of heavenly ones. Jesus' values and the value of the kingdom of God are not, um, are, are not like those of earthly battles and wars and physical confrontation. It's not about picking up a gun or throwing a punch or an insult. It's about choosing to submit our lives, to sacrifice our own lives, our time, our attention, our resources, to bring about justice for those who need it to encounter all that hatred and aggression with proactive and purposeful love and peace. Jesus speaks of turning the other cheek. And I personally find that really hard to do. I find it hard when I see injustice. You know, I can't watch the news. I mean, I, I don't know what it's like for you, but whether it's the wars, whether it's Windrush, whether it's corruption in politics, whether it is any of those things, climate change, that just overwhelms me and I find it hard not to hit out with my emotions or words or actions, you know, and when people hurt me or hurt the people I love or hurt the weakest in society, it's hard not to respond like that. But as we see with escalating wars, meeting hatred with hatred, aggression with aggression only leads to escalating violence where more innocents are caught up uh, and become victims. The way that we do battle isn't the same way that the world does, where society actually accepts and expects people to be violent and lash out. Jesus showed us a different way. Whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. A way of love, self-sacrifice and forgiveness. Jesus was saying that there was going to be a different kind of war, a different kind of way to confront or to start to come up against injustices. And that is the cost of, uh, and the cost, uh, and that, the cost of that is our lives. Jesus has a crazy way of engaging with people because if the purpose was to gain popularity and a large following, for many might have thought that that was what he was doing. But there is also many, and uh, then and now, who know that it isn't about popularity. Jesus had a different purpose. It was about establishing a people who understood the kingdom of God and God's priorities and values of love and patience and kindness and self-control. And that for the kingdom to be established, there would need to be a mindset change. The normal rules of society will be challenged. Love God before more than everything else. It is powerful a really powerful request that has literally transformed this world. Men and women who have taken up the challenge, sat in this room and many rooms like this room across the world since the time of Jesus, all weighing the cost and choosing to follow him. He's trying to focus their, focus their and our minds to, a tr to truly weigh the cost of being all out for him. Not lukewarm, not a social club, but a passionate, zealous army to change the world through overwhelming love flooding out of every pore 
of our bodies. Are we prepared to follow his plans to change our lives, the lives of those around us, to change the world? Are we prepared to count the cost and make the sacrifice? To lay down our relationships, our plans, our battles, our very lives in order to allow his kingdom to come. Just leave you with a, a question at the end, really. You know, what is God saying to you personally through these verses? And maybe what is the next step he's asking you to make today? We hope you enjoyed the talk and found it helpful. We'd love to welcome you to one of our gatherings. We meet in multiple locations at multiple times on Sundays, as well as in midweek small groups across the city. More information on all of these can be found at our website, birminghamvineyard.com. Thanks for listening. Have a great day and God bless.